the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited about today's show. We have the inventor of the sticky note, which once he sold it to 3M, it became the post-it note. Alan Amron, oh my gosh, 45 years you've been inventing. You've done the sticky note, but you have gone on to do so many things. You invented the first ever portable battery-operated digital images before even anyone it was a player that was sold to Nikon in U.S. in 1998. And you did this before anyone knew what a JPEG or MPEG file was. You were part of the inventing team for the famous first downline on the football field that you can actually see in stadium, and it's been used by various teams. And so much more. So thankful that you're here today. Well, it's nice to be here, Kim, and it sounds more exciting when you say it. <laughs> I think you've done a lot. Out of all of the inventions, what are you most proud of? Well, the most popular one, obviously, is the sticky note. So I'm proud of that to be part of history. And uh, the other one is the battery-operated water guns, which I made a lot of uh, children happy all those years that they were buying battery-operated shooting water guns and headgear and all kinds of water toys. You're kidding. No, no. Made literally millions of dollars on battery-operated water guns in uh, 1985 to 1990. I have to ask, I mean, you've done so many things from the sticky note to that portable battery-operated digital images player that you sold to Nikon to inventing, manufacturing, selling, and installing temperature monitoring equipment for hospitals and blood banks and supermarkets. I mean, the laser for the football field. How in the world do you come up with these things? Do you just wake up in the morning and go, "Mm, I feel like doing this today? (laughs) Not, not really. It's not that simple. I mean, uh, most inventions are done out of necessity. Uh, I did not most. 50% of all inventions come out of necessity. Like for the post-it note. I invented that because I needed to leave a note for my wife, and <laughs> I didn't have any scotch tape. So I had to figure out a way of putting it on the refrigerator. But I also had to put it on the refrigerator and worry about, because I just got married, I didn't want to like ruin the refrigerator. So yeah. I couldn't use glue. I couldn't use anything that would stay on the refrigerator after she took the note off. So that, that was necessity. Then there's other inventions like uh, the photo wallet, which wasn't a, um, uh, a necessity. That was something I just, believe it or not, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this in that I saw it. Um, and then when I woke up the next day, I said, that's impossible. There's nothing like this in the world. You can't show digital images. I called it a backlit transparency. 
I mean, old people listening could understand what I'm talking about. Years ago, before we had any black lit up screens with pictures on it, we had a backlit transparency. And so what I was trying to do was make a digital version of that, which today everybody knows is the JPEG. Wow. That's amazing. And and so <laughs> did you worry about, as you were inventing these things, how in the world you were going to bring them to market? Or if they were just going to be some random invention that would just sit in your garage? Well, some of them are easier than others, like a battery-operated water gun, for example, which didn't exist before I invented it in 1970-something. Um, I actually took a board, a, a wood piece of, uh, you know, a regular piece of wood. I mounted a motor on it. I broke apart a regular squeeze water gun. I mounted a cam onto the trigger. So all I had to do was flip the switch, and the cam just kept pumping the water out. So that was my first invention that made wow. literally millions of dollars. And it was as simple as just putting it on a board, filing a patent for it, licensing it to a toy company. And then, you know, most people my age know about it. Uh, younger kids don't know about it. But, but years ago, that was a very popular item in the year 1985 through 1990. Well, now you have to have a remote battery-operated power gun. Yeah. iPhone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Exactly. And it has to have lots of uh, machine learning and <laughs> all that incorporated into it, right? has to be the smartest yeah. water gun out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I invented the photo wallet for Nikon camera, I originally started working on it with Kodak. I, I invented it, brought it to Kodak. They loved it. They took it right away. But they were taking their time about it because they were working on the digital camera at that time, which I didn't even know. I invented the photo wallet, which was a four-inch player, like everybody has an iPhone now, mm -hmm. which is actually a four-inch screen. I made that in 1990, where I was putting video and audio and, um, and stills on a no-moving-part, solid-state player that was battery-operated, and it fit in your pocket. In those days, that was, like, unheard of. So when Kodak saw it and they liked it, uh, they told me they were working on the digital camera, which is the only way people could have gotten any JPEG files. Nobody knew what a JPEG was in those days or an MPEG file. So the digital camera they were working on in 1998-97, they just introduced the digital camera. That was They figured that the screen on a digital camera was only about an inch by an inch, and you couldn't really see the picture. So when people bought that camera and they started using it, they like couldn't see the pictures. So my oh, yeah. player became a part of, of a way to show it on a four-inch screen. And then Nikon took it because they were willing to put it out right away. And so I went from Kodak to Nikon. Wow. And, you know, were you upset with how quickly that, you know, digital technology just evolves and how things just quickly became irrelevant? Well, you know, the funny thing is I was actually there at the birth of the digital camera where when it came out, they were saying, someday maybe this will outsell the 35-millimeter camera. <laughs> but they, they didn't believe it ever could because of the quality of a 35-millimeter camera picture with all the pixels. They didn't believe the digital picture could ever be that pixelated. And now, you know, it obviously it outsold the 35-millimeter ca uh, camera a number of years ago. And did you ever have those moments where someone said to you, oh, no, it's never been done before. It can't be done. And you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. you just seriously, <laughs> I'm doing well, that, it. That's exact, 
that's exactly how you know you got a good idea. You know, there's, there's a number of different people saying things to you when you invent something. First, they tell you it can't be done. Mm-hmm. Then they tell you it's already been done. Then they'll tell you, even if you could do it, what do they need you for? I mean, those are silly things people say, and I don't know why. You should encourage and inspire people. But then how do you get past that, right? Oh, you have an example. Yes, I have an example. I was, I'm in Europe doing lecture tours, and I was invited to a, um, to a charity event at a, at a museum, and the, the, el- the youngest son of Queen Elizabeth um, was at this event. And he came over to me, and he, he said, the first thing he said to me when he came over to me, he knew I was an inventor, and he said to me, Alan, nobody in America really takes our, our, um, our, our uh, charity really seriously. How can we get them to be serious about it? And I said, ah, cheer up. Things will get better. Just keep doing it. And then I'm realizing who I'm talking to. This is the Queen of England's youngest son, wow. and I'm telling him to cheer up. Come on. I mean, you need to encourage everyone in life, no matter what position you're in. So that's my little story about that. I totally agree. I mean, you have to inspire people. But how do you develop, you know, if you are sitting there and so many of the startups that are in this global startup competition that I run, the Extreme Tech Challenge, they're all over the world. And so many of them just feel as though they're stuck in a room with some invention and nowhere to go and no one to contact and and when they make cold calls, no one will even pick up the phone or answer any emails. What is your best advice for them? Well, like, uh, for example, in small countries, like I'm presently in a country called Latvia. A lot of people never even heard of it. Small country has a couple of million people in it. Now, these kids coming out of college here are saying, we live in a small country. How could we invent something that could affect the world? Well, I said, you know what? The guy that invented jeans, Levi Strauss jeans, which is world famous, yep. was invented right here in Riga, Latvia, Riga, by a guy from Latvia. So that like gives them a little bit more encouragement to say, wow, if jeans could be invented and the whole world loves that, well, so then maybe I can be inspired and, and, and somebody will listen to me. If you have a good idea, no matter where you are in this world, television was invented by Farnsworth. Michael Farnsworth lived in Utah on a farm at 16 years old, and he invented the television. I mean, come on. A guy 16 years old in high school in Utah on a farm invented the television. So no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you do, no matter what your, your, your financial situation is, you could come up with something that could revolutionize the world. And if you believe in it enough, you'll get it to a point where you'll find out whether it will or not. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alan Amron. He is the inventor of the sticky note and so many more inventions. We'll have more with him. I'll answer your questions as well coming up next. So stay with us. Now back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Hi, welcome back to the show. We have the inventor of the sticky note, which later sold to 3M and became the post-it note. We have Alan Amron on the line. And I've had this question come in twice just over the break that what do you think about Romy and Michelle and Romy and Michelle's high school reunion claiming to have invented the sticky note. And before you answer that, I have my intern here. We have Gabby. Gabby, have you ever heard of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion? I have not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Alan, have you? Absolutely. And I was, to answer your question, I was flattered. It shows our age. (laughs) Oh, no. It's a great movie, by the way. 
<laughs> yes, it is. So they invented the sticky note, not you. <laughs> I know, and I was very, very flattered that they brought that into the movie, and, and they claimed to do that. That, that was flattering. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, Gabby, but... Goodness, I just, I had, I had totally forgotten about that until I just got two messages on Facebook in a row, both asking me to ask you about that. That is flattering. That's when you know you've truly made it, right? When you're quoted in a movie. Uh, <laughs> People pretend to uh, be you. And, <laughs> and also, my first time seeing the, the uh, post-it note being used was uh, I was watching TV with my son, and we were watching the news, and we saw a space shuttle. And the astronaut was floating around in space, no. and he put a post-it note on the, sh- on the uh, console, and my son turns to me and says, Dad, look, your invention's in space. So that no was way. Cool. So you were one of the first inventions yeah. in space, right? <laughs> one of the first uh, well, products, Con- the first, consumer but, products, one of the first. Having your, your invention either in a store or, or in a space shuttle is very exciting, or well, in a movie. Well, here's what's interesting, though, is that the Post-it note had a little bit of a rocky start. When 3M purchased it, they released it in 1977 as the press and peel, and they first rolled it out to stores in four cities, and they hardly had any sales. So they had to go back to the drawing board. They believed in this product enough. They had to go back to the drawing board, and they decided to go directly to consumers to test their product, which they probably should have done anyway. And they found out it had about a 94% success rate. People really wanted this product. And so a year later, the Post-it note was launched in... We all know how that story ended. It was really just the beginning. So I'm curious, do you have any insight to share and maybe some advice that, to startups today and what they can learn from that process? Yeah, you know, basically not to give up. You know, if they gave up from the beginning when they didn't have the excitement and the interest, you know, at the company, 3M in their marketing and in their sales, everybody loved it. I mean, they all couldn't live without it. But when they put it in a test market in an area, it didn't do that well at first. So it took a few years to, like, catch on. And it also took a few years for 3M to to make the the actual glue to be as perfect as it is today. So it was really the quality of the product itself? Or was it that and and marketing? Yeah, no, it was a mixture of, of, because the product worked. That wasn't the problem. It, it doesn't work as well. It didn't work as well as it does today. But years ago, it worked. It just wasn't, it didn't take off right away. People did, didn't understand it. You know, it was, the marketing of it was a little, they weren't doing it properly, I guess, at the beginning. And then later on, figured out how to explain to the customer how it works. Like, for example, when I first showed the press-on memo, is what I called it, in 1972 to 3M, the, the, the executive from 3M took it and he put it on the wall and he touched the middle of the paper and it <laughs> fell on the floor. And he looked at me and he says, this doesn't work. I said, no, you got to press the top of it. Now, you don't have to tell anybody in the whole world today how to, how to use a post-it note, but that guy did, at 3M didn't even know how to use it. You need to explain your invention. That it, you really, really, especially when it's never been done before, don't let what's never been done before um, get in the way of what you want to do and making your dreams come true. It just makes it a little harder to explain to people when it's never been done before, but it's worth the effort. Some of the advice, though, that goes through Silicon Valley, one of my um, former bosses always said, create something for how people are and guide them to where you want them to be. But in that case, this would have never come to market if that was the case. 
Because what would you have done? Exactly. (laughs) Well, I was selling them myself, actually. The first few years before 3M started selling it, I actually was selling them all over New York, New Jersey, um, and uh, and selling it by mail order to to photography stores, to stationery stores. So so I was selling it already. I knew that it was going to make it eventually. Wow. You know, that's the same of what they did with the GoPro. I can't remember the name of the the CEO of GoPro, founder of GoPro right now. But he was actually walking his GoPro into the extreme sports stores and actually saying, hey, buy this product. Nick Woodman. That's who it was. Right. And, And it's called persistence. You need to be persistent. The first time you tell somebody something, they're usually not even listening. Mm-mm. Nope. Well, we are getting bombarded by phone calls right now from startups who want to ask you, dying to ask you questions. And first on the line, we have Chris Clayton. He is with Trifecta Tactical. So, Chris, give us your 30-second pitch. Hi, Kim. Thanks. Alan, I appreciate your time here. This is uh, quite a quite experience. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, so my 30-second pitch, right? We're doing the same kind of thing, first-to-market product, something that's never been done before. Essentially, it's a flashlight that pairs with an accelerometer. And what you can do is you can mount this on, say, a weapon. And as you pull the weapon into acquisition, so you go to find a target, the light turns on by itself, right? As you put the weapon down, it turns off again. As you go into, like, a reload sequence, the light turns off. We've been to Navy SEALs, we've been to cops, we've been to all sorts of consumers, and it, they're loving it, right? They think it's just the greatest thing they've ever seen. Um, it just takes, it takes human error out of the equation when it comes to this. You can imagine, you know, your, your, your uh, personal protection device at home, and it's got a light on it, and your wife is home by herself or something like that, and somebody comes in and she reaches for it. The last thing she's going to think is, well, I should turn the light on first, right? So anyway, we came out with this device, and, and I do have a couple questions because I think we're kind of running into some similar issues. So what are your questions? So uh, you, you mentioned that consumer education is a real challenge, especially with these first-to-market products, right? So, you know, how do you go about doing that? You mentioned just persistence. We've been, we've been to these uh, little stores, and we've gone around selling this product as well, kind of door-to-door, but... Now we want to take it to the next level, go bigger. How do we educate the market quick enough to be able to do that? Okay, well, first of all, you call it an accelerometer. That right away doesn't tell me what it is. A lot of people don't know what okay. an accelerometer is. So I would, I would uh, you know, you don't have to change the name of your company or change the name of the product, but just in your sell sheet or in your selling the product, you got to just say what it does and say what it is, come up with a, a simpler way of explaining it in one sentence or one word. If you can do it in one word, do it. If you can do it in a sentence, do it. But, but, but the way you're calling it now, I too didn't know what it was until I watched your video and went to your website. And, uh, and I think it's great. I think it's a great item. And I, and I think that um, it, it, I go a little bit towards the other way. I would sell it in the toy industry as well. It doesn't need to stay just in, in military and just in there. And you're probably going to be easier getting into the toy industry first um, and, and that other industry second, only because they're always okay. looking for new kinds of things. I know they are in, in the uh, real gun world, but 
uh, they're a little bit slower in getting it to market, where toy companies will put it in market right away. And and there's also someone I could probably put you in contact with who has a show, and I'm trying to think of his name right now. Yeah, he's a friend. He's a former quarterback for um, Cal's – Cal football, and I'm trying to think for some reason, I don't know why, I have just completely lost his name, but he has a show and he teams up with professional football players and and such, and they go shooting, and he'd be a good one to partner with to get the word out there. I mean, if it appears on his show and he has millions of people watching, that would be good for you. Never hurts to get a little celebrity endorsement. Thank you so much for calling in, Chris. Good luck to you. Call us back when you got your new pitch, and we'll see what he thinks. We'll be right back in just a moment with more callers who have questions for Alan, so stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. We have the inventor of the sticky note. Yay! We have Alan Amron here with us. And Alan, you know, we've talked about your your photo digital photo wallet and, you know, other inventions, the laser for the football field to show the first down. But what are you doing right now? Oh, um, I'm actually touring the world doing lectures and um, not-for-profit lectures to universities and startup companies and uh, things like that, pretty much giving back all the information that I've learned over the past 45 years to all these people that are just getting into it right now and wondering, what do I do now? and What do I do then? And, and it's just, to me, it's like such a natural thing because I've done it for 45 years. So there isn't a question, I don't believe, that somebody could ask me that I wouldn't know the answer to from practical experience, right. not from just learning it or teaching it, from practical experience. But, you know, what are some of the fundamentals? And we know that so much has changed, but what are some of the fundamental things from your day one of inventing to now to bring that product to market, the things that have stayed the same, that nothing ever changes? Simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Even if it, like, like, like this... Uh, the one that this guy just brought up about uh, putting the changing the flashlight on the gun where you could lift up the gun and the light goes on. He needs to say something like that. Lift up the gun and the light goes on as opposed to calling it the, this long, complicated name that he brought up. It, it just confuses people and, and they turn off and they don't want to hear anymore. So the best way to get an idea uh, out is to communicate it. And another thing, a lot of people are afraid to communicate their idea. Oh, who's going to steal it from me? Yes. So you know what? If you, if, you, if you go around thinking people are going to steal your idea, you're never going to end up licensing it or getting it into the world. So you're better protecting it. File a provisional patent on it. It's only 100 and some odd dollars. It's not expensive. And it gives you a year's reservation to file a real patent. And then start telling everybody you know about it. And most people are going to be negative. But some people may be able to help you bring it to where it needs to go. Well, someone not afraid to talk about their idea and has a lot of growing competition in the market. John McMillan, he's with Shockwave Motors. He's also a competitor in the Extreme Tech Challenge, which is a global startup competition, which I run. Top 10 present live on stage at CES, the world's largest consumer electronics show. Top three go on to present to probably one of the most famous entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, on his own private island. So let's welcome John to the phone. John, tell us about your company. Give us your 30-second pitch, and what is your question for Alan? All right. Hello. Thank you very much, Alan. Kim, I appreciate the opportunity. At Shockwave Motors, we make electric cars cool by providing a high-performance, three-wheeled, three-passenger, all-electric, pollution-free, economical, safe, and just plain fun to drive. And what we've done is designed and built from the ground up 
a more efficient and affordable electric vehicle for today's commuters. The Roadster has a range of around 80 to 100 miles, and it has the ability to be recharged from any standard 120-volt outlet while the commuter's at home or at work in about eight hours. So that provides it with a daily range of 200 miles, so no additional infrastructure needed. No other electric vehicle with our kind of performance has that capability. They've all got to have level two chargers. If we plug into a level two charger, we recharge about half the time of a Nissan Leaf, for example. Wow, he got it all in there. 31 seconds. Wow. <laughs> 31 seconds. Yes. <laughs> Alan, what'd you I have think? A question to him. Yeah. Well, I think it's, mm. I think it's great. I have a, my question is Have you filed patents on it? Yes, we do have a, uh, a patent pending. Good. And so what's your very important. That is really important. He was just Alan was just talking about the importance of making sure share your ideas and get those patents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the question is really when I talk to somebody, most people automatically think we need millions upon millions of dollars to get into production. And they'll tell us that and then boom, the conversation's over. The problem is that's not the case. We don't need millions upon millions of dollars. We could explain why if we had more time. But that's the biggest challenge we have, is finding the best partners to move forward with who will listen to us, give us an ear for a few minutes, and help us move to production. So how would you locate and connect with the right people for a, for a project like this? Well, first of all, in general, in general, no matter what your idea is, if you have an idea like yours is in the automobile industry, if you can go, if, there are people in the audio, automobile industry that their job is sitting at a desk every day, and they're called the vice president in charge of new product development. And their job is looking for guys like you. So if you call them, Ford Motor Company, uh, General Motors, Volkswagen, call all of those companies, get on the phone and ask for the vice president of new product development. Now, you may not speak to the vice president because he's sitting in his office and he's got somebody working for him, but they need you. As much, that's their job. If they don't bring something to their upper-level boss, uh, innovative in their company, they're going to end up not being on, on the cutting edge of what they need to be. So my advice to you and anybody with any kind of an idea, if your idea is not in the automobile industry and you come up with an idea in the stationary industry, call all the stationary manufacturers and speak to the product development guy. Usually they're called the VP of, of product development. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely give that a shot. Uh, keeping in mind that we are actually building motorcycles, not cars. Doesn't matter. Automo- it, okay. it, 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 the motorcycle companies. Go to Harley-Davidson. Yeah. I was just using that mm-hmm. as an example. Right, Go to right. the motorcycle companies. And, and the, the, the guy in charge of, of a pro- new product development needs you. Mm-hmm. If you have something really good, he's going to look great to his boss and to his company. So if your idea is as good as, as you think it is, and I'm sure it is, Go to the VP guy, and he'll think it is as well, because that's your final test, by the way. You invent something okay. in an industry like it, it, for, for motorcycles and stuff. If it's, if it's really good, the motorcycle VP is going to say, we need you to come in here. I've been in meetings where when I brought an idea into a particular company, whether it be a toy company or an electronic company, they actually, after I told them my idea, locked the door and said, you're not leaving our building until you take our deal. Wow. Good so job. That's what you got to do. You got to find a company that's going to take your idea and make you a good offer. I would go to Local Motors. They're the creator. You're probably familiar with that electric shuttle named Dolly. It was powered by artificial right. intelligence from IBM, right? 
So mm-hmm. why not go to Local Motors and say, hey, I want to 3D print this? I mean, it's possible and it's hard to believe that people would still think it would take millions of dollars. Maybe they're talking about at scale that it could take millions. But to get you started and start getting product out there, I would look to Local Motors and see how they're doing it and really tap into their localized production and using 3D printing to bring their products to market. Okay. And also, and also explain, you can explain to them how you don't think it's going to be that expensive. Because, you know, you're saying that to us and we don't really know. But if you explain to us in another 30 seconds or another minute and a half as to how it's not going to cost millions of dollars, put that in your presentation. This way they won't be thinking about that anymore. Yeah, you got to take it out. Take the questions out. You have 15 seconds. <laughs> exactly. Tell us. Tell, can you tell us in 15? I, I, I actually have put in the pitch deck now uh, when I have because I, I was eliminated one time because that was what the uh, evaluator said and uh, didn't even ask me the question. They just said, it's not going to cost you millions upon millions. I actually have that in there. And I can explain in about 30 seconds why we don't Well, I'm giving you 15 and you're not taking it. What are the 15? I'm sorry. <laughs> first, first of all, okay, first of all, it's motorcycles, not cars. That's an entirely different classification. We have 10% of the, car, the parts of a gas car. I've already established relationships with suppliers, automotive suppliers, to, in Europe to provide us off-the-shelf components. We've designed the whole thing for production scalability. We have minimum regulations, no crash testing involved, and we've got basic uh, CAD complete, molds are built. We use contractors. We're basically already identified the amount of manufacturing labor and infrastructure we need. We're basically ready to go. That's why we're not needing millions upon millions of dollars. We can open this up for less than what it costs to open a McDonald's restaurant. Wow. Are you convinced, Alan? I'm convinced. Yes. <laughs> well, good job. We'll take some of this advice and then come back to us maybe in about a month or so, and we'll get you back on and see where you're at, okay? Fantastic. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat with you folks. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, John. Uh, next up, we have Mike Lasso. And, Alan, we are running out of time. We have like a minute. So we'll just at least let him give his pitch, and then we'll come back after the break with your answer. Sound fair? Fair enough. Okay. Mike, give it your best shot. What's your 30-second pitch? <clears throat> hey, Mike. My name is Miko, and I'm from Social Shopping Network. Um, we are a Facebook and Google verified bidding fee auction that returns the common sense auction initiation criteria that has been lost for 45 years. And uh, bidding fee auctions are different from eBay or also known as the English or highest offer type of auction. And what's your question? My question would be that well, first of all, I just want to know, let, let you know, Alan, that this is not a trick question or I'm not here to mislead you in any way. As an inventor, you should be aware that the best inventions are most often extremely simple. First, what is your criteria for creating the best inventions? And then what is your second question? We're going to go to break and then we'll come back and answer them. Secondly, in any type of honest auction system, it doesn't make a difference if the auction is online or an auction event. Before initiating the auction, the auction operator needs to check that the minimum number of participants are present. What is the minimum number of required participants for an honest auction system? Wow, well, that's going to might be a tough question, but we'll see what Alan has to say in just a moment, so stay with us. 
Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. We have Alan Amron. He is the inventor of the sticky note. And he's traveling the world offering amazing advice and insight to, to startups because he's been an inventor for 45 years, very successful in so many different areas. Before the break, we had Michael Lasso, who had a question. He's with the Social Shopping Network, and he's created some sort of a, an auction process for um, social networks, such as Facebook. And he wants to know the criteria for creating a very successful invention. And then on top of that, um, probably more specifically, he is, um, I can't remember exactly his second question, question but i think the minimum number of participants to make a product viable i think is kind of where he was going with that alan what do you think well first of all in asking this question about how do you invent and he did say uh inventing simplify an invention um he's saying that if you if you invent something you need to simplify it no matter how complicated it is the invention you need to simplify it so other people can understand it you need to communicate it so there's really no criteria to inventing except to make it simplistic, make people be able to understand your invention so that you could move it forward. And answering your second question of how many people do you think makes his, his auction or whatever he's testing viable, I would say a half a dozen people. If, if less than that are uh, participating, I don't think it's really a good test. Anything more than six people uh, will give you some sort of an indication. And any advice for him on going? I know he's also trying to find investment. I mean, I think he still needs a, a little bit more proven product market fit before going to investors, though, don't you think? Yeah, but again, you know, even at Facebook and, and Twitter and all those companies, they're looking for, for things, auctions and different ways of, mm-hmm. of marketing and selling their product. So they have product development people as well. So he should contact the product development people at Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and see if they can, if they'd be interested in partnering with him, or if they have an idea of, of who can invest or help him with his product. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Mike, for calling. In. Hopefully we helped. Next up, we have Stuart Dennis. He is the CEO of BitBounce. Hey, Stuart, I hear you also have an announcement today. Uh, hey, Kim, thanks for having me on here. Thank you. Tell us, give us your 30-second pitch, and I want to hear this announcement my producer tells me about. Uh, Sure. So uh, BitBounce is a cryptocurrency spam solution. The problem we're solving is email spam, which still costs the global economy $20 billion a year. Our invention works uh, by requiring people you don't know to pay a small fee in cryptocurrency for their email to go through to you. So your inbox only contains emails from people that you know or people who have paid you in order to receive the, the email. We've got about 11,000 active users right now, and we're adding several hundred a day. Uh, Our announcement is that we're holding – we've also created our own cryptocurrency, and we're holding a sale for that on July 26th. Tim Draper, uh, the legendary venture capitalist, recently bought 10% of our cryptocurrency. And so it's an exciting time, and if people are interested, they can go to bitbounce.io for more information. Wow, Alan, what do you think of that pitch? Very cool. You know, I like Bitcoin. I like all that electronic stuff. I think he's on to something. But why actually, and I'll ask the both of you, I mean, why would anyone want to, you know, use your software per se or your service um, and have it based on cryptocurrency versus there are other email products out there that block um, unwanted emails and, and charge for it using regular currency? 
So the main reason to use Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is that transactions can be confirmed in seconds or minutes, mm. whereas dollar transactions take a lot longer. And that's, uh, you know, it's critical to move fast with timely email communication. And but how do people know there's so much concern out there over the safety of using sure. well, cryptocurrency? Uh, we work with Coinbase. Uh, all of our Bitcoin transactions operate via Coinbase, and they're a leader in the most uh, – safe and trusted brand in the space really right now. So uh, we're doing everything we can. I have a Stanford computer science degree. Wow. Uh, we're hosted on Amazon Web Services. Uh, we're really putting security and trust at the forefront of everything we're doing. Do you have any questions for Alan? I mean, he's, you know, one of the most successful inventors in the world. Absolutely. Well, Alan, I, uh, I heard you talking about uh, bringing your idea to a VP or an existing company. What if you want to bring that forward, your invention, uh, as a company yourself, what advice would you give uh, to an entrepreneurial inventor? Well, I would say that the best thing to do in that case is to is to is to partner with somebody in that business already. I mean, it's hard to go into a business, even though you're the inventor of something that may revolutionize that industry. It's hard to go into an industry and understand all the ways and means and everything that's going on. Uh, so partnering with somebody in there, like, for example, when I invented first down laser for football in the NFL, I took Pat Summerall, who was the voice of the NFL and yes. is my partner. And that took me right up to the, to the commissioner of football. So that's what you got to do. You got to partner with somebody. If your idea is good enough, you're going to be able to go to the top and get a good partner. And that's where you got Tim Draper. So I think you are well on your way. And what's the site people can go to if they're interested again? So bitbounce.io, and when you go to the site, click on the information. There's a banner that says Credo ICO because we're holding our initial coin offering on July 26th. It's an exciting time, so please join, uh, join us and buy some of our coins. Congratulations, and thank you to Jimmy Koo, who also uh, uh, introduced us, so I appreciate it. Good luck to you. And, Alan, we have one more quick question. If we can do this in like a minute, we will be golden. We have Mitro Svetlik, who is on Skype. Mitro, you have 30 seconds. Can you give us your 15-second pitch and then your question for Alan, and he'll try to answer quickly. Okay, I will do my best. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, we are creators of Braindrot, a portable maker bot or, or an intelligent tool, as we call it. Our ball, uh, bot can 3D print, cut, mill, paint, or garden in the cylindrical space of nearly seven cubic meters. Uh, it does not need a computer or special apps, only a web-enabled device like your smartphone. Device is foldable and can be transported by one man. Works on battery and solar panel. That's it. What's your um, question? We have wow. 30 seconds for him to answer, and then we're going to get cut off. Okay. Uh, my question is, uh, because our device is quite generic, it can basically uh, create um, new stuff, and, and it may, might revolutionize uh, the niche of the 3D printing and manufacturing and uh, um, household as, as the household appliance. Uh, my problem mainly is to explain and to convey to the people how many things the device okay. can, can so do. Okay, so we have them. 10 seconds, actually, Alan. So very simply, what is your quick assessment in 10 seconds? Well, I think that to get his explanation, he needs to start talking to people in that industry and get their, their response as to what and how he should, you know, they understand it. So they'll be able to explain it to him back so he could use that as a simplified way to explain it to others. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. This has been Kim McNicholas on Innovation. You can connect with Kim on Facebook forward slash Kim McNicholas or email Kim McNicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.